listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. We're going to continue our tried and true series um, here in just a minute. We're going through the Gospel of John. We're wrapping up the Gospel of John in uh, chapters uh, 18, 19, 20, 21. Today we'll be in 19, but before we do that, uh, it's just been on my heart this morning um, just to share a little bit with you um, and sort of lead into the message, I guess, but uh, it's just been on my heart really heavy that, uh, that sometimes we don't realize that there's actually an enemy who wants to come and to kill and steal and destroy life, uh, to come against us, that there really is um, a, a devil. There really is a Satan. There really is someone who wants to take life from us. And I think many times we get blindsided by life when things go against us and we don't realize that we're even in a battle many times. And I want to share that, share this, if, even for myself in my own life, um, there are a lot of days that are battles. There are a lot of times that are battles. I can't tell you how many Sunday mornings I stand up here and in myself there's a battle that goes on, um, that, that, that there's a war ra- waging inside of me, that I know what God wants to do and I know how God wants to use me and, and what He wants to do through me and through us, but it's still a battle. There's a lot of days that for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, I feel like you can because we've all felt the, the power of, of uh, the destruction of sin in our life, but there's a lot of days for me that um, it almost feels like you can be in a pit, man. It feels like you're in this place, this low place, even a, a place of despair. And I know as a Christian, you're not supposed to have that, right? Especially as a pastor, you're, never, you're not supposed to feel that way. You're not supposed to... Um, have those thoughts you're not supposed to have those days and you're supposed to have the joy of the lord and that's supposed to be everything and 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 it is but there's still times when we have struggles and we have battles and we wrestle with things and there's times when we're just tired and times when things come against us and times when sin seems to be overwhelming us and times when temptation seems it's going to overtake us times when our relationships just aren't right times when our marriage seems to be falling apart there's just times when it seems like the whole world can be turned against us time after time when you stick your heart out there for people and then it gets trampled on time after time when you just don't know can I take that next step can I just keep walking and the thing I want you to know today is that you're not alone in that that there's one who's with you there's one in the trenches with you and it's Jesus, that he's there. And for those who put our faith in him, he's that great warrior that goes before us. He's the one who comes to give us strength. There are days when I just have to go and, and get into the Bible and I, I, I go to the Psalms or I go to a proverb or I go to a scripture that just speaks to my heart and that I begin to find strength in. Reminding myself that He is my rock that I stand on. Reminding myself that He's the refuge. Reminding myself that He is my shield. That He's the strength that I need. And then living out of that. Because the reality is sometimes life's just heavy. The effects of sin on our lives and the destruction that's come from that are felt by all of us. 
And here's the thing I realize is that we can come in church and act like everything's okay, but nobody gets better that way. We can, we can come in church and pretend all day long. I can stand up here as some pious, perfect, righteous person, but I'm not gonna heal that way. The way we heal is when we get very raw and honest with ourselves and with God and then with others. We even confess our sins to God and each other. And he comes and he begins to minister to our hearts and his sin begins to lose its power over our lives. But the thing that we oftentimes do is we ignore that. We just keep going and we keep going as though we have blinders over our eyes, not seeing the truth and not seeing what God desires to do and the healing that he desires to do in our lives. And we just continue to push forward, going on and on and on until we wear ourselves out. And I wonder today if maybe we feel the weight of that now. I wonder today if maybe you feel a little frazzled. Maybe today there's things that we need to submit to the Lord and trust Him with. If you're in that place today of feeling a sense of despair, sense of hurt, the burden of sin, the burden of sin's results, the consequences, Maybe you're in the battle where you just know that Satan's coming against you. This morning, I just wanna remind you that even though Satan comes against us, there is one who's greater than him. His name is Jesus. When we call on his name, he is faithful and he is strong. And when we run to him, we can find shelter. We can find strength. And this morning, I just want to encourage you with that. That when we look and you can turn to Genesis chapter two if you'd like. We're gonna go through a lot of scripture. But I want you to see the results of sin, the things that happens because of sin. And I want you to see some things that are really left open-ended in the Old Testament. They're really like loose ends. If you look at Genesis chapter two, when God created everything, he comes to him and he gives them one command. And he tells them, he says, the Lord commanded the man in verse 16 saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you shall eat, if you eat of it you shall surely die. And then if you look over in chapter 3, you see where the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so the, the, the command came, but when the command came, so did rebellion and rebellion, which is called sin, um, enters the world. And then listen to what happens because of that sin in Genesis chapter 3. Um, at the very end in verses 22, the Lord, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east end of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
And here's the thing, I understand sometimes that people have a hard time wrapping their mind around the creation story. But if we look at our own experience, it teaches us exactly what the, the creation story is teaching us, what this text is teaching us. It's teaching us that when we rebel against God, sin enters our life and destruction comes. Here's the problem for us, just like with Adam and Eve, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of what God desired and that sin has entered our life. The destruction from that sin has come into our life and because of that, is wreaking havoc in our life. Satan loves to use those things, even our bondage to sin and to death uh, to, to come against us. And, and in this, we see that, that there's some things that we lost when sin entered the world. Number one, we lost our relationship. Adam and Eve were separated from God. In the same way, our sin separates us from God so that we're not able to just come to God any way we want. Another thing that was lost was our righteousness. They were no longer right before God. Their righteousness was gone. They didn't have right standing with him. They had sinned. They were marred. They, they were stained. They were guilty. They needed, the, the judgment was, was due to them. And so we see that their righteousness was lost. Another thing that they lost was their rulership or their dominion. They no longer had authority over the world. They no longer had authority over sin, over death. And now it took hold of them. See, two enemies we cannot defeat are sin and death. We cannot defeat those on our own. And so what we see in this is a loss of the ability to come in and to take uh, the world and to, to, to do in it what they were created to do, which was to bring God glory. Now sin and death would be ruler over them because they couldn't defeat those enemies. And I don't know about you, but how many of you are good starters of projects? You like to start projects? And in here, here's, here's I'm, I'm one of those, I'm one of those. But how many of you don't like to finish what you start, right? You like that first 90% maybe? That's me. I like the first 90%, the last 10% I'd rather somebody else do um, because it's fun to start it. But I, what I end up doing many times is I have to go back and make a list of loose ends that I have to go back and catch up, right? And what I started seeing in the, the, in the Bible, as I started reading it through and thinking about it from, from front to back, what I started seeing are a lot of loose ends that were left. As we see the, the fall and we see sin come in and we see a loss of relationship, a loss of righteousness, a loss of rulership or dominion over the world, what, what I started seeing was that God started making promises. He started telling them that, that he was going to do things uh, to, to make that right. But the problem is that, that when I read through the Old Testament, I see a lot of loose ends in the Old Testament. Um, it's why I brought this with you. I want to show you six loose ends that, that, that are um, in the Old Testament that uh, we, we need to look at and understand. The very first one actually takes place uh, in the chapter that we just read in chapter three of Genesis. In verse 15, it says this. It says, and this is God speaking to Satan after he has um, enticed the woman and uh, the man to eat the fruit. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise or he will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what this is talking about is the first prophecy of Jesus in the Bible. It's talking about one that would come from the woman who would one day crush the head of Satan, who would one day kill uh, or, or 
take out the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. And so what we see is a promise of restoration. It's a promise that God is going to reverse uh, the effects of sin, and he's going to begin to restore things. And I wonder how many of us today need restoration in some part of our life. We need something in our life restored back to the way it should be. Um, there's, there's some hurt or there's some wound in our hearts that needs to be restored. God made this promise of restoration, this promise that he was going to make things right again. This is what we call the Adamic covenant, that God, when God makes this promise, a covenant is just an agreement between two people. It's, a, it's an agreement that God made with Adam. Um, it, it wasn't something that they had to do. It was something that God says, I'm going to do this. And he made this covenant with them. But here's the thing that I see in this. He says, I will do this. And, but it's, it's future. I mean, it's something that's out there. It's a loose end. It would be this first loose end that we see as these ropes are dangling. It's something that we see that's just hanging out there, that, that's waiting to be done. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a very patient person, right? I like things to be done now. Like, like I want it, nothing moves fast enough. I'm ready to go. Uh, it drives me crazy every time I drive through town and I get caught at a red light. I'm like, doesn't this red light know how busy I am and how quickly I need to be moving, right? And, and I just want to move. I want to go. And yet this is a future promise. This is something that we, we're waiting, you know, that, that was to happen. You got to wait on it. He says, I'll do this. I'm going to begin to restore things. It begins in the very beginning. The next one that we see, if you flip over to Genesis chapter 12, um, is the call of a man by the name of Abram, who would later become Abraham. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you, of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in this, what we see is another covenant that God makes with mankind. This one's called the, Ab the Abrahamic covenant. It's a covenant that he makes with Abraham. And he promises him, one, that he'll make him a great nation, a, 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 the father of many people. And, and he promises also that those people would become a blessing to the world, that, that out of that would come a great blessing. Um, and he establishes this special relationship with Abraham so that from Abraham's going to come the Israelites who would be God. God's chosen people, his special people. And so what I want you to see in this covenant is that there's an establishment of a relationship. It's the beginning of a restoration of relationship that remember that was something that was lost in the garden was relationship with God. But God begins to show us that he desires relationship with mankind and he desires a relationship that would ultimately bring him glory. And so we see in this covenant that, that there's a promise that he says, I will do this, but it's another loose end. It's something out there that's just waiting to be done is something, another promise of God. The next one, if you turn over a few more pages, um, in Exodus chapter 19, we see where God has come to a man by the name of Moses. Moses has been used to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, which was where they were in bondage. And we read verses one through six, we see yet another covenant that God makes with people. It says, on the third moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So they've been delivered out of Egypt. They've been brought out of that, that bondage, that slavery. Um, and, and they come out of Egypt. On that day, uh, it says, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in that wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. 
The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel. And so we see this another covenant that's established with God and with man. We see that this covenant, um, which we're going to find out in, in Genesis, or Exodus chapter 20, when he gives the Ten Commandments, he's given a way of righteousness. But there's a conditional covenant. It means that there's something that we have to do. There's something that the Israelites had to do. They had to uphold the Ten Commandments. They had to keep the moral law. They had to do all the things that God told them so that they could be righteous before for him. He gives them all of these things. The problem with it is it depended on human strength and human ability, which they didn't have enough of. They couldn't do this. None of us can. None of us can keep the law perfectly. None of us can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. It's why the Bible is true that we've all sinned and fallen short. And so when we see this, we see that there was a, a promise of righteousness, a way of righteousness, but it was weakened by us. And many of us find ourselves day after day feeling like we're in this, this, uh, or this chase of being chased by sin, being chased by the enemy. Uh, the other day I went and ran. I run out here sometimes on this trail I'm in the afternoons. And I went, I went out and went running. And uh, I got across the field, thankfully, without getting snake bit. And... Um, running across all the grass and everything out there. And, and I get to the trail, and right when I'm coming down the trail and, and I hit the, the, the asphalt part of that trail, I look up and there's two girls coming jogging down the trail. And I'm like, oh great. Because I got a little bit of what I call competitiveness in me. And I'm like, I cannot let them pass me. Why, I don't know. But I'm like, I cannot let them pass me. And so I just start running and I'm running and it's not a very fast pace, but I'm running as hard as I can go because I don't want these girls to pass me. I'm like, I ain't getting passed by no girl, right? And so I'm running as hard as I can. I mean, I am digging. I'm just like, <laughs> just going. And I'm trying to get, to just, you know, just get away from them. And I'm running. And I thought about this as I was running. I was like, you know, how many times are we like that in life where we feel like we're always running from something? We're running from the past. We're running from sin. Something that seems like we're is always chasing us. We're always trying to live up to God's commands. We're always trying to live up to somebody's desires. We're always trying to not sin, not mess up, not not uh, live in the past that, that seems to haunt us in, in, in our present and in our future. And, and so we're trying to run from all these things. And I wonder how many times we're like me on that running trail. We just feel like we're running and running and running. And like I said before, uh, at the beginning, that we just finally get tired and we're just tired of running. We're tired of going. We're tired of being chased. We're, we just, just want to stop and we want to rest and we want to have some time just to catch our breath. And I wonder how many times we feel like that. Because the Israelites would spend hundreds of years running from sin, trying to not be caught up in it, trying to fulfill the Ten Commandments. And we see that here's another of those loose ends that's left out there. God wants them to be righteous. God gives a way of righteousness, but they can't find any way of fulfilling it. It's a frustrating third loose end. It's another loose end that hasn't yet taken place. And so when we look at that, we have to see that it's the third loose end. It's another way that we um, end up trying to uh, tidy up our life. And yet we can't do it. 
The next one, if you flip way on over, it's a good ways over, is in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Begins in verse 11, it's page 441. Seeing if y'all. All right, verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 17, it says, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. This is God speaking to King David, uh, promising him what's going to happen once he's gone. I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before for you, but I will confirm him in my house, and listen, and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan had spoken this to David. So God, through the prophet Nathan, had spoken this to David. This is called the Davidic covenant. I mean, this is a covenant that God makes that he says, there's going to be one of your seed, David, there's going to be one from your lineage that's going to sit on the throne forever. The only thing that, that we see in this, though, is it's only a couple of generations before the kingdom begins to split, and there's not somebody from David's um, lineage that's ruling and reigning over Israel. Um, it's, it's, they, they, they're no longer there. And so you look at it and you go, is there something wrong with God's faithfulness? Is he not doing what he promised that he would do? And so we, but we see that he's made this promise, but it's another thing that's left undone. It's another loose end, something that's still out there. It's something that still is in need of being done. And so what we see is that God God has promised that there will be a king, there will be one who rules, and there will be one who reigns, but it's still in the future. The fifth loose end, the fifth thing that would be represented up here is prophecy. See, all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecy of a Messiah, of, of one who would come, um, who would be the anointed of God who would do great things and begin to restore all things back to the way they were intended to be. There's tons of prophecy in the Bible, but as we look at it, it was all future. As we read them in the, the Old Testament, it was all future. It was all something to come, and it had yet to be accomplished. And so when we see that, it's still another loose end that's out there. The last one, I want you to look in Exodus chapter 12. Chapter 12. This is what they call the Passover. This is when the Israelites were about to come out of, it, of Egypt, and God says that he's going to um, bring them out by his might and by his power, and what he gives them to do and what he tells them to do is to take a lamb, and he says, on this day, you're supposed to slaughter this lamb, and you take the blood of that lamb, this pure, spotless lamb, and you put its blood above the door, the, uh, the door frame, and you put it on the door frame, and you put it there so that when God would come through that night, he would pass over that home. It would mark that house, and, and we read about this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. It says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so he gives them this way of, of salvation, and out of this Passover comes the, their deliverance from the enemy comes their deliverance from bondage, comes their deliverance from uh, all these years of oppression. And so this is their instructions from God. 
And it foreshadows for us, I wasn't real good in English and literature, but what I did learn what foreshadowing is, and this foreshadows for us, it, it projects for us forward, it tells us what's coming in the future, a sacrifice that would be made. But at this point, it's a way for them to remember this day. They would do this for hundreds of years, every year at the time of Passover, to remember that God brought them out of Egypt to sacrifice for their sins, to do this um, out of faith and in faith in God, but to do it in a way that they were trying to somehow um, you know, remember the Passover and what God had done for them. But it was all symbolic, it all foreshadowed something else. And so when you think about this, you think about what God did with Adam and Eve and how God gave a promise of restoration. You think about what God did with Abraham and how he began to reestablish relationship and he gave him a promise that he was gonna make them a special people. You think about what God did with Moses and how he made a way of righteousness and how he wanted them to be righteous. You think about what God did with David and how he promised someone would sit on his throne forever and that there would be a king who would come. You think about the prophecy and all the prophecy of the, the Old Testament and and, and the, the prophecy about the Messiah, you think about the Passover and this sacrifice that was foretold, this sacrifice that was foreshadowed as you look at it and you see it. And the only problem is it was all still hanging out there. It was all still yet to be done. It was all something that had not yet been accomplished. But when we come to John chapter 20, something very awesome takes place, something very incredible. John chapter 19, I'm sorry. And in verse 28, it says this. This is after Jesus' arrest and after his um, sentencing, and he's been put on the cross. In verse 28, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. There's one of those prophecies that he fulfills as a jar, of full, a jar full of sour wine was there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. See, up until this point, there was something else that was happening, even in the New Testament, that was still an unfinished thing, that was still a loose end, and that was Jesus' obedience and surrender to God as he went to the cross. But at this moment, he had done everything that was necessary for salvation and for life and for the forgiveness of sins and for us to be made whole, and so he could finally willingly give up his life so that we could have life. And the seventh thing that was out there, the seventh thing that was left out there was his surrender and obedience to God. But now we see in John chapter 19 verses 28 through 30 that he fulfills that to the point that he can say it is finished, that it is done, that it is over, that I've done everything. And that seventh thing when he did that, I want you to see this, I want you to understand that he took all of that stuff from the Old Testament and he began to bring it all together. He began to bring it all together and make it make sense for us to see that Jesus is the one who took and tied together all of the loose ends that were there. That it was in him that all of that was fulfilled. So when we ask the question, we look at it and we go, what was finished? Is finished, does that mean just his life? No, it means everything that we needed for salvation and for wholeness, to be able to live the life of God. It was finished in Christ, it was done, it was accomplished, that he was able to finally yield his spirit and, and, and give his life because he had accomplished everything that needed to be done for our wholeness for the salvation of our souls. And so when we think about that, we think about restoration, we think about righteousness, we think about relationship, we think about 
our rulership and our ability to take back from the kingdom of darkness what belongs in the kingdom of light. The fact that we're no longer bound to sin, now we've been set free from sin. We're no longer bound to death. We've been set free from death. We think about all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. If you go and look at them, there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled that's no longer a loose end because Jesus has fulfilled them, that they've been accomplished, they've been done. And all of this we can look at and say is coincidence. We can look at it and say, well, they just wrote all those into the story. But here's the thing that I find hard to believe, that those men would have died for something that they knew they'd written that was a lie. And so we see Jesus becoming the fulfillment of all of those things. We see Jesus becoming the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. It's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, John's baptizing in the river, and he sees Jesus coming and he looks up and he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why? Because he was that final sacrifice. He was the one that had been foreshadowed throughout the whole Old Testament, that when the sacrifices were being made, it was the one, he's the one that it was pointing to, showing us who was to come. And this is why we can have confidence in the Lord, man, that this is what God did for us. He fulfilled all of those things, and it all points to Him. It all comes down to this one moment in history where Jesus gave His life for us so that we could have salvation, so that we could be made right with God, so that we could truly say that we could be, are being restored, that we're being made whole. But the reality of it is we have to come to this conclusion about who Jesus is. And my prayer is today that God would use these things through the power of His Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see more clearly who He is as He cries out, it is finished. I hope that that registers in our heart that we realize that God God has finished it for us. He's done everything that needs to be done for our salvation and for wholeness and restoration in our life. And as we look at the Old Testament, it casts this shadow forward of what was to come. Jesus emerges from the shadow showing us exactly what God was telling us all along. And we see that clearly. But sometimes the shadows in our life don't seem to cast forward blessing. They seem to be luminous. The, 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 the sin of our past seems to keep us in this place of condemnation, this shadow of condemnation. But see, I want you to understand that Jesus also comes to tie the loose ends of our lives up together as well, so that we can be made whole in Him, so that even in our struggles and in our battles, we know that God is the one who ties it all together, that gives us the ability to walk through that. See, here's the thing that I know when I, that I face every day of my life, when I feel like I'm struggling, when I feel like I don't know if I'm gonna make it, the thing that I know is that Jesus is there, that Jesus has won the battle, that Jesus has won the victory, and no matter what, he's going to bring me through whatever it is that I face, because it is finished. What needs to be finished in your life? What sin is still speaking condemnation into your life? What sin is still having hold of your life that needs to be repented of, confessed to God and confessed to someone so that you can walk free of that thing? What is it in, in relationships or past hurts or wounds that has caused you to, 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 to think that it can't be healed, that you can't be whole? What is it that needs to be submitted to God? What decisions have you made that brought regret that you need to see that when Jesus said it is finished, it meant that he could bring us a new beginning, a new way of living? What past experiences or mistakes have we made that make us doubt the future, but Jesus is our hope and our future. 
Nothing in this world can give us a true hope. Nothing in this world can give us um, a true way of, of living a life that tells us that there is hope because everything in this world will ultimately fail us, but Jesus never does. What past experiences have taught us that we're unlovable? We need to realize that when Jesus said it is finished, he defined our value and worth. He gave himself for us. What is it in our lives that need to be restored? Maybe it's bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart. But see, when you experience the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus, what you realize and what you experience is so amazing that you realize if he can forgive me for what I've done, then certainly I can find strength in him to forgive others and release myself from this bondage that's holding me back. See, what is it that's casting a shadow on you that you're running from? that needs to be submitted to Christ, needs to be brought to Him so that forgiveness, wholeness, restoration can begin. What is it? See, He's the Passover lamb. He was slain, He was sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins, for a new beginning, so that He who is in Christ could become a new creation, so that the old would be gone, so that the new would come so that the loose ends of our lives could be tied up, that we could be made whole. I was thinking about when I was running the other day and uh, I ran as hard as I could for about 15 minutes. I usually run about 15 minutes one direction and run back 15 minutes the other direction. I never end up as far the second time as I did the first time. But I was running down there and, and, and I got about 15 minutes. I finally made a 15 minute mark and I was like, thank Jesus I can turn around. And what was crazy is I'd been running from two girls that I didn't want to pass me. And when I turned around, they weren't even there. They were gone. They had turned around a long time before I did. I couldn't even see them anymore. And I thought about how that is with us and Christ. Many of us are running from things that Jesus already took care of. Many of us are running from things that have no power over our lives. If we'll just turn and confront them, take responsibility for them and bring them into Jesus's presence and to the lives of other people who can help us. And my prayer is that today the spirit of God would move in us to help us to do that. Listen, one thing I've learned is that you can't carry this stuff around on your own and expect it to heal. You gotta talk to somebody. And we'll be here for you to do that. We'll be here to help you. We'll be here or find someone that you can share life with, a connect group, somebody. But don't walk through this by yourself. When we look at that Passover lamb and we look at what Jesus did for us and we look at that celebration that comes from the forgiveness of our sins and what Jesus did for us. There's a way that we remember that. And for some of us, I hope this will be a special time that, that maybe for the first time you can really appreciate what God did for us. But one of the ways we celebrate that is through communion, is through sharing in the body and the blood of Jesus, the bread and wine that symbolically represent who He is and what He's done. 
And we're going to take communion together in just a minute. But I want you to remember what Jesus has done. I want you to remember how he tied all those loose ends together. How he brought it all together. How he became that one focal point of history that changed everything. Not just changed the world, but changed eternity. Before we take this together, and this should be a very reverent time because we should examine our hearts. What is it that we're running from that we need to give to him? See, this is something that we as believers do. We share in together because this is something that Jesus gave us to do, to remember him. What is it that you're running from? Maybe it's something you need to submit to him. We need to get that right. And then we come and we share in the body and the blood of Christ. I want us to take a few minutes and we're going to examine our hearts. Let's just take a few moments and do that. What is it that God needs to work on in us? What loose ends does he need to tie up in us that just need to be submitted to him? Let's take a minute and examine our hearts.